Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series sponsored jointly by Conversant and StoneTurn entitled The 2020 Update to the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs Impact on Compliance Programs, a conversation with Conversant and StoneTurn. In this five-part series, we consider conducting investigations and ensuring consistent outcomes, internal reporting, establishing quantifiable metrics to measure and monitor the effectiveness of your compliance program, corporate culture, and evaluation of compliance programs. And now a word about our two sponsors. With the recent update to the Department of Justice Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, it's time to reassess your compliance program. Click the link in this episode's liner notes for Conversant's interactive self-assessment and find out exactly how you stack up against the 2020 update. When you complete the assessment, you'll have a complete scorecard showing exactly where you can improve in the eyes of the Department of Justice. All from Conversant, all at no charge. Stone Turn. Since 2004, council corporations and government agencies have turned to global advisory firm Stone Turn when facing their greatest challenges. Make Stone Turn the first place you turn for advice on regulatory, risk and compliance issues, investigations, and business disputes. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode, and today I have me in the Rex home. Rex is a partner at Stone Turn. Rex, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be here. So, Rex, I was wondering if you could tell, uh, tell us a little bit about the nature of your practice at Stone Turn. Sure. I've been working for about 30 years helping companies and clients in negotiating issues around investigations and litigation support and trying to help them understand some of the things that they've been doing and and helping gather facts of various situations. Rex, as you know, on June 1 of this year, the Department of Justice updated its evaluation of corporate compliance programs. And they, uh, I don't want to say changed, but perhaps re-emphasized the role of a compliance function in monitoring investigations and monitoring the resulting discipline to ensure both consistency and fairness. How do you see that working? How do you see uh, the compliance function doing that within the context of an overall best practices compliance program? Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. I think... One of the things that I have gathered from reading the various updates from the DOJ is their continued pushing of companies that they need to be proactively incorporating best practices into their compliance programs to ensure that they are as effective as possible. And one of the ways in this current update has been how are they tracking investigations and the discipline that may come out of that? One of the challenges companies have is facts and circumstances are always different in investigations. And trying to say one case is exactly like the other um, sometimes is difficult. But if, if companies are treating employees of one country different in terms of discipline as it relates to potential misconduct, it does create potential gaps in that compliance program that may give certain countries a feeling that they can do what they want uh, without, with less risk of punishment from, from the company. So 
my view is the DOJ is just continually to push down on the companies that things like monitoring these investigations and ensuring the consistent application of discipline is a critical factor in ensuring an effective compliance program. So how does the compliance function actually track and assess investigative results, or at least what are some of the best practice you would advise? There's, there's a lot of ways that companies can do it. I think one of the best ways is some form of a database that lays out certain issues of what allegations were. Maybe it's a whistleblower. What is certain information um, what countries are involved, what areas of risk are involved, what procedures were performed, and ultimately what the findings were. And I think we all appreciate that these investigations have privilege issues, have a lot of confidentiality issues. So it is a, a, a document, again, a database that has to be protected. But it's important because I think unless you are, you have some formal tracking, again, whether it's a database or simply a spreadsheet, it is difficult to stay up to date and to really draw patterns in these investigations that can be gleaned to then apply to the compliance program going forward. A, a global company at any given point can have three or four investigations or 12 investigations going on at once. And without some form of tracking, it is really difficult, I think, for a company to take that information and and glean key aspects that can be applied to their compliance program. Rex, in July of this year, we had the Department of Justice and Securities and Exchange Commission update the original FCPA guidance. We now have a second edition. And in that second edition, they added a hallmark to the previously titled 10 Hallmarks of an Effective Compliance Program, and now it's just the hallmarks. But the hallmark they added one that that has been around a while, and that's root cause analysis. I was wondering if you could explain the difference uh, in a root cause analysis from an investigation and then perhaps how you might use a root cause analysis in a little bit different way than you would utilize investigative findings. Well, I think the... In my view, I think the root cause analysis is really driving into what were the either the gaps in the compliance program or what is uh, you know what happened that allowed this behavior to occur. I think it's a deeper level than just an investigation. Often, investigation is focused on who, what, when, where, why, and how. Right, understanding who did it, what they did. The root cause analysis is really then trying to dig into what programs and policies and procedures did a company have that this misconduct, uh, um, you know, this allowed this misconduct to occur. And so the root cause is really digging into the compliance program and all the procedures itself to understand, again, was this overriding of controls or were these gaps in the controls, which then flows into what do we do? What do we need to do to remediate those gaps? And that, again, that comes out of the root cause analysis. So then, is a root cause analysis a part of a corporation's ongoing monitoring? Excuse me, continuous monitoring and continuous improvement and 
can it be used on a more routine basis than you might have to use uh, if you have an incident in an investigation? Yes, I think it it is a best practice because, again, if you don't really dig into the root cause of why something happened, it just allows that misconduct to occur again. And, again, lots of companies in the past have done their investigation. They find out who did what. Maybe they discipline that individual. But historically, they often didn't go back to the control program itself and how did this misbehavior, this misconduct occur. So to your point, having this root cause analysis is critical for companies to enhance their compliance program. If I could maybe broaden it out a little bit, Rex, uh, to ask you what procedures would you advise a company to put in place or perhaps what do you see as best practices to ensure a company keeps their compliance program dynamic? That's a great question. I think a lot of companies don't often do enough to constantly look at their program and assess their program to see that it is effective as possible. We all know that even the best compliance program will still have issues. It just it just happens. Collusion occurs. Uh, things do things do happen. My view: the best ways to handle or to constantly um, evaluate the program is doing periodic risk assessments, actually testing transactions and not only looking at the policies themselves, but actually testing the transactions to make sure that they are following the procedures that are laid out. The things we have already talked about of taking past investigations at their own company and understanding what was the root cause and are there enhancements we need to make? Do we need to adjust our internal audit programs? Do we need to adjust our third-party due diligence programs? These are all measures that a company should take to constantly evaluate their program and to to make sure it is a dynamic one and not a static one. Because I think as we've all have seen over the years, a static program, people figure it out and people realize where gaps may be. And if you're not constantly evolving, constantly changing, you run the risk of having more misconduct occur. You know, Rex, I have to tell you that in all my years of podcasting, no one has said what you just said, which was along the lines of one of the reasons to have a dynamic program is so the bad guys don't get ahead of you. So kudos on that line. I'm going to incorporate that into my repertoire. (laughs) You're welcome. So uh, let me turn to sort of the current environment. Uh, Obviously, we're still in the midst of the coronavirus health crisis. Uh, some some businesses and states are uh, reopening some a little bit further than others. Some are retrenching now. But in this uh, state and what looks like it may be now six to 12 months, how do you uh, advise companies to perform interviews and other investigative procedures to align with uh, the new D- DOJ 2020 uh, updates to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs? Yeah, no doubt it is a challenge, Tom. I mean, trying trying to glean information and pull information out of people by doing a video chat or just something over the phone is much more difficult. And And so what I think companies have to do is probably spend more time looking at the documents and looking for patterns so they can ask 
better questions to the people that they are talking to. As we all know that any investigation is a combination of informational interviews, but ones where misconduct has occurred, it's harder sometimes to draw out, get admissions from folks, um, unless you're sitting across from the table. So I think it is just really going to require investigators, compliance folks, in-house counsel to spend more time looking at transactions, looking at the documents to gather good questions, as well as being able to push back. So as somebody gives an answer that doesn't agree with the documents, they can quickly respond with, well, that doesn't make sense. And here's why. And, and so I think there's going to have to be a lot more preparation work than has historically been performed in the past when you could just sit across the table from somebody. Rex, um, as we get perhaps unintended consequences out of this time period we're in, I believe that one that you just articulated in terms of the preparation you, you need to do, not simply reading the documents, but understanding them, understanding the transactions, I think that is going to be one of the most significant outcomes because speaking by and for my law profession brethren, we have not always been the best at that preparation. We believe that if we sit across the table from someone, we can either uh, figure out if they're telling the truth, catch them if we have to, or simply just ask some questions and record the answers. But I really find that the steps you went through, I think, make for actually a much more robust investigation. And if you know all of the facts and can call those facts up at hand, I think at the end of the day, your investigation will be more robust. Would that be a fair assessment? I think you're spot on, Tom. Rex, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on Stone Turn. Where could they go? Uh, Stoneturn.com. Obviously, we are. We would love to you brainstorm with folks. Feel free to reach out to to us. We have a number of thought leadership pieces. Obviously, this podcast with you is a, is a great opportunity for us to talk about issues that are facing companies and and what they should be thinking about and and. Rex, I uh, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope that uh, perhaps I might be able to call on you in the future to continue our conversation. I would love that, Tom. Thank you again for the opportunity. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode in the Stone Turn and Conversant podcast series on 2020 update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs, impact on compliance programs. I hope you'll join us again for another episode. Please check out the show notes where you can find information on Conversant's self-assessment based on the 2020 updates. Also, Conversant's Converge 20 is now open for registration, and I would urge you to take a look at the agenda. It's going to be a fabulous virtual conference that I know you're going to want to attend. This episode of the Conversant Stone Turn podcast series has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network.